I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Hey, hey, welcome to the Touch Em All podcast. I'm Phil Mackey. He's Derek Wetmore. He covers the Twins for 1500ESPN.com. I talk on the radio on the Mackey and Judd Show from 9 o'clock until 1 o'clock on 1500ESPN. And the Twins are clawing to just stay relevant in the American League Central. Uh, They did beat the White Sox this afternoon in a game, Derek, that lasted, if people are listening, we're talking here on a Thursday afternoon, a game that was only two hours and 15 minutes because Jose Barrios made such quick work of the White Sox. Uh, I think most people would take a two-hour and 15-minute baseball game, especially if their favorite team uh, came out on top. Sign me up. Sign me up for defense. Sign me up for low-scoring pitcher's duels. I'm here for all of it. It's uh, my favorite kind of baseball, and I actually didn't get to catch most of Thursday's game, but the idea behind it, they talk about pace of play, they talk about run scoring, and just play great baseball games with all great baseball players, and your problem is solved. Exactly. Uh, I want Let's jump into this episode. I want to ask you a question that sort of involves things that are happening right now, but mostly projects forward a year from now. So, Miguel Sano struggling. Um, Eduardo Escobar, who's going to be a free agent at the end of the year, is having a career season, hit another home run this afternoon. Jorge Polanco is on the horizon here once he gets done with his 80-game suspension. Brian Dozier is sputtering for the most part in the first half of the year. He's a free agent. Joe Maurer's on the disabled list still. There's so many moving pieces on this infield. What's your best guess as to what this infield looks like a year from now? And then if you could even just add a layer on top of that, what do you think it should look like if you were pulling strings in that front office? Yeah, so I guess I'm just going to answer them the same way because you could see it breaking any number of ways, but just the if, if you're asking me as... Uh, as a guy who follows this team somewhat closely and has some opinions, on June 7th, what does it look like? Well, the only thing I can confidently tell you is what I would do or what I think you'd have to hope plays out. And that's uh, Jorge Polanco at shortstop, Nick Gordon at second base, Joe Maurer at first base, and Eduardo Escobar at third base. Uh, that probably is bad news for Logan Morrison unless he has a great rest of the year because if you've keeping score at home, Miguel Sano is not going to move back out to right field, so you got to hope he's the DH. Uh, maybe he's a first baseman. Maybe he swaps, splits some time with Maurer or something like that. But uh, I, I think that uh, Brian Dozier's days could be numbered, and I think if you're the Twins, it would be pretty logical to try and get something done with Eduardo Escobar at some point. Now, whether he's receptive to that or not, I have no idea. I haven't talked to him, but... Um, Gosh, he just keeps backing up good play with with good hitting, and honestly, I was a skeptic of his fielding, but I, th- I think he's been pretty reasonable over there this year in that regard too. So that's what I'd give you as my four infielders, five if you count the DH, and then uh, catcher, go trade for JT Real Muto. <laughs> exactly, yes. Joe Maurer moves back to catcher. I, I hear that argument still to this day, even no, thanks. five I'm or six good. years later. Um, I'm, I think you and I are pretty similar there. I think up the middle, 
in fact, I'm going to say we're similar in three out of those four spots, and I would and I and Joe Maurer is the one that we differ on, and I and I my answer would have been different a few weeks ago. Um, our colleague Patrick Royce seems to think, and I don't know if he's got inside information or if he's just using his four decades covering baseball and his intuition. He thinks this just might be the last season Maurer plays. That yeah, uh, I don't agree, but Pat's yeah, and I don't, I don't to his opinion. I I don't see Maurer playing for another organization. I get I guess if it were something somewhat close by, I mean, if like the if the Royals decided, okay, we're you know if, if the Twins said. Hey Joe, it's been a good run. We're just we're good. Miguel Sano is going to play first base, and we're just and we need to we need to make some room for the Brent Rookers, and there might just there might, there might need to be a first base opening here. Um, I don't think he plays for another organization, but I guess I wouldn't be shocked if it was something close by or in the division, and that's that's the ultimate wild card. If you would have asked me before the concussion when he has he's got a four hundred on base percentage and he's been going along relatively healthy, I would have said yeah he almost certainly comes back, maybe even plays another two or three years. I just don't know, and we would just be guessing at this point. Uh, the, the Miguel Sano thing, and, and you, I'm assuming you put him at DH with this formula, or do you have a different That's plan right. for him? Okay. Oh, yep, DH. Uh, I just, I've tried to defend him for years with the strikeout rate, and I thought he had a great approach at the plate, and the power plays, and the patience plays, and this has just been a really disappointing season from all of those aspects. And uh, defensively, too, I just, gosh, if he's going to look like this, I don't see a third baseman in there. Um, he's probably the third best first baseman on the team. So it's uh, if he doesn't get things together, that's sort of a disappointing second act of his career. But it does leave the door open that the third act will be much, much better than the second. Yeah, there's actually an article on ESPN.com right now that highlights. I think it's. I think they picked out ten of these guys, but uh, hyped players, hyped young players who are running out of time to become stars. And yeah. two out of the first three names listed were Miguel Sano and Byron Buxton. Yeah, and and I right. just I, I did I did a little digging on on Miguel Sano just going back uh, through the Baseball Reference archives. So not only was he dropped to fifth in a depleted batting order earlier this week, all right, it's not it's not like they're running out a murderer's row of hitters one through four. They've got you know they've got a couple hot hitters now, Escobar and Rosario batting second and third. But Miguel Sano was dropped to fifth and then bumped from the lineup somewhat for rest, but also to clear his head just because he's not hitting the ball. He's batting around 200 on the season, on base percentage below 300. He has the highest strikeout rate in baseball both this year and in the history of baseball for his career, if you don't count pitchers who hit. And and if you want to cling to, hey, he's a power hitter, you know, at the very least he's going to give you big-time power and slugging. I count 133 hitters in baseball this year with at least 100 plate appearances who have a higher slugging percentage than Sano. And that includes Brock Holt, who's a slappy infielder utility guy who has one home run this year. It includes Nico Goodrum, who is a former Twins prospect, sort of a cast-off utility player for the Tigers now. And a couple former Twins in familiar names, Danny Valencia and Kurt Suzuki, have higher slugging percentages than Sano. Uh, And like you said, he's basically morphing into a subpar first baseman slash DH at this point. Uh, So if this isn't rock bottom for him, I don't know what rock bottom looks like unless they send him down to the minor leagues because he does have some options left. 
Um, you'd like to think that he can turn it around and at least hit 240 or 250, get on base a little bit with the strikeouts and the home runs, but this is uh, this is not the direction he's supposed to be headed, and yeah. it's a it's definitely something the Twins are are going to have to be worried about here unless he really picks it up in the second half of the season. Yeah, I mean, if they're not worried right now, Phil, they're not paying attention. So I, I would I would suspect that they are. Let me make a more optimistic, you know, lens into this conversation, and maybe we, you take this wherever you want to. But can you imagine with the way Eddie Rosario is hitting right now and the sort of complete, exciting, uh, well-rounded, but yeah, still, still. Um, I'd say up and down. Eddie Rosario's riding the roller coaster, good place, bad place. But the full body of work is excellent, and you'll take that if you're the Twins. And Eduardo Escobar, same sort of deal. He's probably a little steadier, but, uh, you know, doubles king, some power. Just an emergent hitter who came out of a nothing trade with the White Sox for Francisco Liriano. Uh and he's emerged into a solid regular player um, who now you're worried about his free agency coming up. Yeah, so anyways, let me let me make this point more succinctly. Can you imagine if you got the start that you had from Rosario and Escobar, and then you sprinkle in a little Max Kepler there for seasoning, Joe Maurer healthy and sticking with the 400 on base just for some added flavor, and then... Byron Buxton, superstar, and Miguel Sano, superstar Man. with the power. He's always going to strike out and all that. But yeah. I guess my point is just that this lineup, I said over the winter, had the potential to be one of the best in baseball. And right now that looks, I don't know, some people might say that looks like a stupid take or that a really questionable opinion. And other people might say, like, yeah, no, man, they just, like, kind of just missed on capturing this wave What with what we've seen with uh, – well, Maurer getting hurt, but then more specifically, Buxton and Sano not really delivering. No, you're 100% right. It's, it, it just feels like such a wasted season for so many reasons because with, with the way both of the Eds have performed at the plate so far, you didn't even really need all-star caliber play from Byron Buxton or Miguel Sano. You just needed those guys to be steady. You needed Sano to tap into his power, to stay on the field. You needed Buxton to pretty much just do, you know, maybe spread it out a little more evenly, but give you pretty similar numbers to last year, and this thing would look a lot different. And they've gotten some good starting pitching performances. It just feels like... And then, of course, if if Brian Dozier goes away in free agency, which it looks like he will if he doesn't get traded, um, and then if they, don't, if they don't reach some sort of an agreement with Eduardo Escobar, then they've just sort of wasted a few really good years of those guys' primes and have to sort of go back into rebuilding in a couple really important positions with rookie players. So, and, and again, like not to, I just brought it back to buzzkill and I apologize because, because there are, because on the flip side, on the Eddie Rosario front, you know, this is where, and you and I have admitted, at least on Twitter, I don't know if we've admitted this on the podcast and you and I were both very anti, anti Eddie Rosario for, a, for a couple years. And, um, I can say for myself, I've been talking into a microphone about sports for like 10 years, and it's top five most wrong I've ever been about a player. I thought they'd be foolish not to trade him a year ago. I thought they should have traded when his value was high. Um, I didn't think a guy who swung at that many pitches. I think if, if your best comp 
is, hey, well, Vladimir Guerrero swung out a lot of pitches, too, and you're, like, picking out the one guy who succeeded doing that. Uh, Ordinarily, that's not... That doesn't bode well for you, but he's just become this feared hitter who comes up to the plate in these late-game situations, and you're kind of surprised that he doesn't come through in the clutch. So, you know, regardless of the disappointment of Buxton and Sano, uh, they seem to have found this gem in the middle of their lineup and this exciting superstar player in Eddie Rosario. Yeah, and superstar's not really that far off. I mean, it's got to be more well-rounded and and more complete. Like, you can't just play for two months and be a superstar, but, like, I'm pretty sure he's going to go to his first All-Star game next month, and, you know, that's that's kind of where stars begin, you know? Not that the All-Star game makes or breaks you, because I I think we could poke holes in that. There's just so many guys that go and injury replacements and yada, yada, yada. But the the end of season numbers for Rosario this year will be very interesting to me, Phil, because I will cop to being wrong. You said you've been on the radio for 10 years and you've been wrong a lot. I've been on it much for a much shorter runway, and I've probably been wrong at least twice as often. But I will say that the the thing that surprised me the most about Eddie Rosario is that he was just a free swinger, bad ball hitter, and when I hear bad ball hitter, I usually think bad hitter. Um, <laughs> Vlad Guerrero is kind of the exception in that case, but um, I was just... There were people behind the scenes with the Twins, multiple people, telling me that, like, hey, I see what you're saying with the fact that, you know, he can't control the strike zone and, like... Gosh, he just doesn't seem to have a great approach at the plate. But just keep in mind, that discipline is one of the last things to come. For a player like Rosario specifically, and if you go back and look at his comps, he's got these great hands, and he doesn't draw walks, I know, and he strikes out a lot, I know, but like, just give it time. It's I'm not saying it'll for sure come, but I'm saying the fact that it hasn't come by now doesn't mean it's over for him. And this is like maybe 2015 late 15 over the winter maybe into 16 and i was like yeah all right i hear what you're saying but i'm still going to be critical of him when he he makes a terrible throw in left field or or if he swings at a pitch at his eyes you know in a 3-0 count and then goes on to strike out like i'm still going to blame him for that stuff but I, i hear what you're saying and then it didn't come and it didn't come in 2016 i think was kind of a disappointing year for him and i I was just like, yeah, well, sometimes evaluators are wrong too. So this guy, it's it's kind of, he is who he is. But then last year Phil came, and he is just this exceptional uh, test case for, I, I think, I, I'm i pretty sure that James Rousen deserves a lot of credit here for taking a free swinger guy who has no idea of, I wouldn't say his strengths because he knows he's a good hitter, but like he has no idea that his strengths can play up even more if he just gets a little more selective at the plate. And the best hitters in baseball are better in a 3-1 count, in a 2-1 count, than they are 0-2. That's just universal. And you're better driving that inside fastball than you are the slider in the, the right-handed batter's box in uh, Rosario's case. Like That knowledge can take a decent hitter or a decent talent and turn him into, yeah, sort of a major league all-star caliber player. And that's really what we've seen play out with Rosario. Um, you watch some of his chase rate numbers on fan graphs and stuff like that. If he's, if he's now more in the strike zone, 
Um, that's as good of an explanation for this breakout as any. He still had the quick hands. He had the strong bat. He had this confidence that's basically never wavered in the time that I've been around him, these four or five years, whatever it is. And, uh, yeah. and just the seasoning on that dish is now he is making sure he's doing damage with good pitches. He still has a little bit of that flair. You saw it in the Indians game where his home runs were just hit from every co- every corner of the strike zone. But more and more you're seeing him really make a pitcher come to him, throw strikes. He'll take a walk every once in a while. He's not striking out at crazy rates anymore. He's just doing you know, an exceptional job at doing damage on good pitches to hit. And I, I have to tip my cap for that adjustment. Yeah, and he's the type of hitter... I think most hitters are going to have a really hard time taking pitches that are out of the strike zone and driving them with consistency and authority. Yeah. And so, but but he's the type of dude, and, and and call them bad ball hitters who are actually able to make a living and put up numbers. You know, s- swinging at a, a wider range of pitches. So he's he's got better command of the strike zone as a hitter, and that you know he can get into those advantageous counts. But then. He's able to take pitches that aren't in the zone that he's sitting on and drive them out of the ballpark. Like you mentioned, there's there's a bunch of people who posted photos of the three home runs he hit over the weekend uh, in that game against Cleveland on Sunday. And you could make a case that, well, for sure two of them were out of the strike zone. One of them, the, the walk-off might have been top corner of the strike zone, depending on the umpire. But, you know, he, so he's able, he's able to better get into those counts now instead of falling behind 0-2. And, and then he can sort of widen his hitting zone based on the areas that he's looking to drive a pitch. I mean, it's imagine being a pitcher, seeing what happened in that three-home run game, and trying to think, okay, like where can I throw a pitch that, A, he won't drive out of the ballpark, but B, if he doesn't swing, like has a chance to still be a strike. You know, that's the thing. Like if, if that pitch that he drove, the inside pitch he drove over the right field fence, if he doesn't swing at that, it's just a ball, so it's still a, it's still a win for him. And obviously, when he does swing at it, it goes down the line or out of the ballpark. So he just he has such a stranglehold on pitchers when he's locked in like this. Yeah, and it's uh, like you said, it is kind of too bad. Um, I just it's it's too bad, anyways, that Rosario's developed into this sort of star player, and uh, Escobar is having a career year in what could be a walk year for him. And you know, eventually Brian Dozier will get going, or at least I think he will. Logan Morrison's been pretty good, but his early numbers sour his overall line, and then there was the back issue. Joe Maurer had been good, and now he's suddenly been incognito for three weeks, and maybe he'll go on a rehab assignment here soon and, and get back. But what I'm struck by, Phil, is, and maybe maybe it's just I'm, I'm a uh, overreactor, maybe that's the word, although maybe, maybe that's too strong. It, let me just say what I'm going to think. I think that the Twins need to be super proactive right now about patching the holes on this team if they hope to contend with Cleveland by the end of the year. Because I think the Indians are very close to um, saying, enough with this bullpen, we've got to do something, let's send out a prospect, our window is now, we have to win this division, and then let's see what happens with a healthy Andrew Miller and Cody Allen, and etc. in October. I think that the Indians should make their move. Like now, you're seeing teams start to pull the trigger on trades. The Mariners have made a trade. You know, I think that the Twins should be in that same boat of proactivity, and there are two spots that I'll give you. 
Uh, pitching has been perfectly fine. I am super good with the starting rotation that the Twins have rolled out there. I even don't hate the bullpen as much as Twitter.com hates the bullpen. But at shortstop, A. Ray Adrianza, I know he hit a home run today, but overall, he's just not getting it done for me. He's a bench player. And uh, I've got a stat of the week for you later in this episode. I won't spoil it, but I'll just give you the player. Nick Gordon's crushing it at AAA Rochester, and I would plug him in at shortstop right now. Um, that keeps Escobar at third base. It keeps Sano at first base DH rotation with Logan Morrison, at least until Joe Maurer is back. I want to see Nick Gordon in the Twins lineup right now just to see if he can click uh, at a young age in the majors. And maybe he can't hold down shortstop, but get yourself some early information figuring out if that's going to be the case. And then the second one is at catcher. Look, I think Mitch Garver's a better hitter than he's shown so far, and I know Bobby Wilson gets high marks for his game calling and leadership and pitch sequencing, you know, figuring out how to get a pitcher through the game. That's definitely valuable. I'm not trying to undersell that. But I've been saying for like a month now, it feels like, ever since we learned that Castro was going to be done for the year, the Twins need to do something to upgrade their catching situation instead of just saying like, well, good enough is good enough. I don't know how long you can just continue to say that. Um, they did sign Cameron Rupp to a minor league deal. Maybe he's up at some point, but based on uh, my amateur scouting of the situation, I think he's kind of a hitter who put the pads on, who you know, who put the gear on and became a catcher. Uh, so sort of similar to what I've seen from Mitch Garver so far this year. I, I don't know what the exact solution is at catcher, but to me the solution at shortstop is I'm curious enough to see what Nick Gordon could offer that I'd like to see that at shortstop now. And the other side of that coin is like, I'm just no longer curious about who Ara Adrianza is as a baseball player. Yeah. Amen. I, and in fact, my guess is Nick Gordon's going to be up uh, sooner than later. Although how many games in are we right now? How many games away from Jorge Polanco are we? He'll be back in about a month from today. I've got okay. July 6th circled on my calendar. Cause that would be the 81st game for the Twins, but who knows if they get another rain out that maybe pushes it back but just just call it a month from the recording of this podcast on June 7th Okay, so they can get a month of Nick Gordon and then figure out if there's a log jam, maybe by then they have traded Brian Dozier for all we know Yeah, um, or maybe Joe Maurer's back, maybe he's not, but like yeah. they, it just seems to me they're sitting on their hands an awful lot, they, they're super proactive with pitching, there's always a fresh arm in the bullpen um, the, the starting pitching staff, they are willing to adapt on that uh, with Irv Santana being out. I'm just, I'm, I guess I'm a little surprised that they're saying A. Ray Adrianza, Gregorio Petit, Mitch Garver, and Bobby Wilson is just perfectly fine for us up the middle. Oh, by the way, Ryan Lamar, who I like a fair amount, but is is holding it down in center field because Byron Buxton's just going to be on the DL until his bones heal in his toes. Like, that's three super important positions up the middle, and right now it seems to me like the Twins are just saying, like, ah, this is fine. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I, I almost feel like the the best thing that could happen is for the Indians to win, like, seven games in a row and just make it really easy for the Twins to say, okay, we thought, thought we were going to contend this year, but uh, a few things didn't go our way, and we're just going to reset for next year. I actually, um, let's take a quick break here. I actually have... A little uh, story to tell you if you didn't see it play out on Twitter the other night and sort of an I told you so or we told you so going back to last year's draft. Hey, I've got a theory on this too. So I I know exactly the story you're talking about. 
why don't you do your deal? And then uh, I've I've got a legit theory that I feel pretty good about actually. Awesome. Um, let's let's first get a word in for Luther Brookdale Toyota six ninety four in Brooklyn Boulevard here in the Twin Cities, where I I, I, I didn't know this and I would have thought differently um, when it comes to just the stress test on your battery in your car. Warm weather and summer weather is actually a lot more likely to uh, make your battery go kaput than cold winter Minnesota weather. I would have said, no way, like 20 below zero, that's definitely more dangerous for your battery. But uh, batteries are much more likely to bite the dust in warm summer weather than in winter weather. So you can stop in and and you can see my friends who my family and I have been going to for decades at Luther Brookdale to to get that battery inspection, make sure your car is uh, just ready to run safe for those trips around the Midwest, up to the cabin, to the lake. You're going to be road tripping this summer. Just get that peace of mind. And peace of mind is probably the number one thing and number one attribute uh, that I can say for myself uh, that I've obtained going to Luther Brookdale Toyota. 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard and LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. So the other, the other night during the Major League Baseball draft, Derek Wetmore, I took to Twitter not to tee off on Hunter Green specifically, but I just remember a year ago, so many people calling the Twins cheap and, you know, cheap pole ads, cheap Twins for drafting Royce Lewis number one overall and paying him a little bit less, like what was it, a million dollars less than Hunter Green uh, wound up getting. But people just looked at that in a vacuum and said, oh, classic Twins, like, they weren't going to go after the superstar flashy guy who's been on the cover of Sports Illustrated because they didn't want to pay him, and so they paid this other guy less money and took the knockoff prospect. Well, if you had widened your scope and your vision, the Twins actually spent more money on last year's draft than any team in baseball, and they wound up taking the money they saved with the number one overall pick, and they wound up having a couple other better picks down there, like Blaine Enlow out of high school, may not have signed if you couldn't give him an extra however much money, right? So anyways, I just tweeted out, remember all the people who were mad at the Twins for being cheap, drafting Royce Lewis over Hunter Green? I mean, Royce Lewis looks like he's destined to be a major league star player here at some point, maybe sooner than later. He's batting about 300, even after a slump for Cedar Rapids, never strikes out, and uh, has all the leadership qualities that you could ask for. Hunter Green, meanwhile after three or four decent starts, still has an ERA over seven in his two years in the minor leagues because he really only throws one pitch and he's working on everything else. And I just thought it was fascinating. Of course, I send that tweet out, and Hunter Green's dad, who must do a search every time he hops on Twitter for his son's name, starts chirping at me for like an hour, accusing me of trying to get extra clicks on social media by bringing his son's name up. And I just want to say to Hunter Green's dad, I do get an extra 5,000 followers every time I tweet Hunter Green. And so I'm going to try and make that a priority on a daily basis just to tweet about your son so that I can get about a million followers by the end of the year. It's going to be awesome, Derek. Well, Phil, I got a theory for you, and you're not going to like it because it bursts your bubble a little bit, I'm sure. Uh, you know, you won this round. I think it's pretty obvious. Anyone looking in on these tweets, um, Mr. Green did not understand the intent of your tweets. And that's also a little bit haughty to assume uh, what he assumed. So round one goes to Phil Mackey, and I'm sorry that I have to give a decision by TKO to the Internet for the overall fight because I'm 98% sure, Phil, that this Russell Green Investigates is just a burner account. Somebody set up their account 
just to troll you on Twitter, <laughs> and uh, you fell for it hook, line, and sinker. So joke's on you, bud. You're probably right. You're probably right. I actually have about 17 burner accounts, and uh, I use all of them just to troll you over the past five years. So <laughs> as soon as you figure out who those are. Well, I probably have most of them muted, but this has been a fun little song and dance. Uh, I will say, uh, Russell Green Criminal Civil Investigations uh, joined Twitter in May of 2018, does put the geography pin as... Beverly Hills, California, so it is possible, and, you know, also has uh, some photos that, that would lead one to believe that it could be actually uh, uh, Hunter Green's dad, um, but 16 followers uh, and 21 total tweets, I'm not exactly sure. Can you imagine is, if it's uh, if it's not if it's not Hunter Green's dad, and he's just going through for hours on end, trolling yes. people who are Very. calling... Calling out his son's ERA in the minor leagues. <laughs> Very next level, yes. I will. I did a quick story on 1500ESPN.com, not to give a uh, cheap plug or shout-out or anything, but I, I just said, like, this is a year after the Royce Lewis draft, as it will become known in future years and for generations to come, is that it looks like a good pick for the Twins. I remember thinking at the time, like, okay, shortstop. He wasn't at the top of the mock draft boards, but, you know, he was up there, and, and who knows? And I checked around with a couple people with the Twins that I think if there was some BS going on, I'd just like to think that they would have been like, um, you know, hey, we were playing a little game here. We wanted to play the signing bonus thing. And, and I didn't hear that at all. I heard, hey, what is with everybody hating on this pick just because you've only heard of one of these prospects right. doesn't mean that he's the best one. Like, this is, my, this is me talking, not the uh, Twins context, but, like, Who's to say that Tom Verducci got it right when he said this guy's the uh, – on the SI cover, I went back and looked at it, Phil. They said, baseball's LeBron or the next babe. Oh, wow. And that's just ridiculous. Like, obviously that hype train had gotten out of control, and I'm just going to say that if the Twins have a room full of 30 full-time professionals whose sole job is to figure out who the best amateur baseball player in the world that they can draft – I think that they're going to do a better job than you or me or Sports Illustrated or anybody who's just doing this stuff sort of in passing. And I guess I just went and looked at the numbers for this piece. I looked at basically, Phil, I'd heard that there were five guys really in consideration for that 1A spot, Uh, not just on the Twins board necessarily, but if you took the consensus around baseball, I think they kind of said it would be um, Royce Lewis, Hunter Green, Mackenzie Gore, a high school lefty, Brendan McKay, the guy the Rays ended up getting, and then Kyle Wright, who was a college pitcher. And I basically just went and looked at their five respective careers to date, and really the two standing at the top of the class are Brendan McKay uh, and Royce Lewis. So it's not done. We have five more years before we even figure out how many of these guys got to the big leagues, how many even made it, let alone who's going to have a great career. But just to say this... 12 months after the internet blew up that the Twins did not take Hunter Green, um, it's looking like a pretty good decision on the Twins' part, and Royce Lewis has the numbers to back it up in A-ball. Also, this is a a major generality, but I think if you have a chance, if you're sort of split between two players at that point, you're drafting number one overall, and one of them you think could be a 10- to 15-year franchise shortstop, and the other one you think has a chance to be let's say, a playoff-caliber rotation starting pitcher, 
the attrition rate for those pitchers with potential elbow injuries to dodge and shoulder injuries to dodge, there are other avenues to find pitching later in the draft or through through trades. I just think it's harder to to get that franchise shortstop, middle of the order, or leadoff guy, that Francisco Lindor, Seager type player. Um, and that's the, that's the type of player, if you look historically at World Series winners, it's pretty rare that you find teams with mediocre to utility caliber shortstop. So if you got a yeah. chance to draft a franchise shortstop who's a leader and who has a bunch of tools, I think you'd do it. Yeah, and I mean, the draft's back in the news this year, and I just, every year I think the same thing, Phil. I used to be a prospect junkie, and I just, I guess I don't really have as much time anymore, and I don't play fantasy baseball, so... I don't care as much who the 17-year-old in the Dominican Summer League tearing the cover off the ball. It just I'll learn about him when he's in double-A mashing. So <laughs> right. uh, I, I don't pay as much attention to it. But um, even when I did really, really like that stuff, and I could have told you 80 of the names on the top 100 prospect list and stuff, I, I just it's obvious that the draft is a crapshoot. Like, there's a bunch of smart people that get into a room and say, I like this guy. But they're all sort of tacitly saying, I like this guy at a certain percentage that he makes the majors and stays healthy and continues to get better every single year. Because that's the thing that I've become more, I'd say, I'd say a, a little more acutely aware as I've covered baseball now for a few years, as opposed to when I was just, you know, read fan graphs and baseball prospectus every day and set my fantasy baseball lineup. I, it, it's that every single year you have to get better. Like you see that in the NBA, guys will add a skill. In baseball, you get drafted and that's when the work begins. And then you get up to short season ball and that's when the work begins. And then you work your ass off and you get up to low A ball, full season, and that's when the work begins. And that just keeps going and going and going and at every step it gets harder, no greater jump than from AAA to the majors. Most guys, you know, worked so hard their entire life to get to the major leagues, and what you need to realize is that's not the finish line. That's the starting line, and that's a, that's a stressful reality to wrestle with for sure as a minor league baseball player, but, like, um, that is one of the things that I think smart teams are scouting for and the Twins have been doing this for years, so this is by no means a new you know, analytics thing or anything like that. Does this guy have the work ethic to make himself better? There, You could say talent-wise, head-to-head, this other guy is better. But if you don't think that other guy is going to work for it, then it's not going to work for him. And you have, to, you have to really, really be smart about putting together that puzzle of skills, um, willingness to learn, uh, grit, which is something that I would fail at if you're giving me a scouting exam. Not only can I not throw a fastball, I just like quit at things really, really easily if it's hard. <laughs> and that's a skill. I mean, major leaguers all have that skill of sort of stubbornness. And I don't know. Anyways, we talked with scouting director Sean Johnson about these kinds of things this week, and that's absolutely something the Twins are trying to you know, blend the analytics but also know that there's more to the picture than spin rate and what your TrackMan data says about you at a showcase. Um, it's, a, it's a real challenge, and I don't envy anybody who has to actually make the decisions and then stick around to watch them whether they play out or not. Um, but I, I do want to say one thing off your, your uh, up-the-middle anecdote. 
And I tried to ask Johnson, um, this is twin scouting director Sean Johnson, who's now running his second draft, uh, slightly different draft than what they ran last year, but just like, hey, do you give, like, bonus points for pitchers and catchers? Because nobody seems to have enough of either, and especially not the twins. The twins seem to be really hurting on catching right now. Um, and he didn't really say that. He didn't say that they'll give bonus points for it. He said, you, you obviously are aware of your needs and you know what's difficult to fill out and all that stuff. But, uh, yeah, I guess I was just kind of digging to see. I know they're not drafting based on what the Major League team needs right now, but do you see do you see catching as sort of a long-term need? Do you see pitching? Are, are these categories that you get bonus points for? And he basically said, no, like half the players in your organization are pitchers, so usually the draft ends up being about half pitchers, half position players. But outside of that, they don't really have a – you know, box to check where they say we need X number of catchers this early or we need this many pitchers in the first 10 rounds. They're basically saying, like, let's just try to get some good players and be mindful of which positions are really hard to fill. Yeah, and it's also worth noting, too, that you're not just drafting. Like you said, you should never be drafting based on your current major league team. You should be drafting based on how good the players are on your board and what's available and then maybe organizational need. But also, it's if you're running your organization – as well as it can be run, you're going to be trading several of these players, right? So you, yeah. ultimately, I just want 20 really good young players who are assets that if I'm in a pennant race, so in addition to these guys coming up through the system and contributing and, and being a part of your major league team, if a team calls you or you're on the phone on July 31st and you need that final piece to the puzzle or it's the off season and you need that number one caliber starter and somebody says, hey, we need a... Uh, we need three of your top 20 prospects that you don't flinch because, oh, man, ooh, that's going to deplete our farm system. If you're constantly churning and developing and drafting and signing players and and you've got 15 or 20 that you feel really good about, then it's just less of a loss when you're the Cubs or the Astros and you have to trade for Araldis Chapman or Justin Verlander. Yeah, and I mean on a lighter note uh, or a lesser degree of that exact thing that you're talking about, yeah, maybe you run into a team like the Rays who's desperate to shed payroll in spring training and you give them your fourth best shortstop prospect and go get a really solid mid-rotation starter for two years of team control. Yeah. That's a pretty decent situation to be in, too. Exactly. Uh, let's wrap this episode up with your stat of the week, if you could. Yes, let me uh, click over to the tab. I, I clicked off it because uh, I was doing my uh, Russell Green investigation to figure out if that actually is <laughs> Hunter Green's dad or if you just got trolled on the internet uh stat of the week was about one nick gordon batting for triple a rochester this year after his promotion from the southern league uh the stat was pretty simple 22 nick gordon has had 22 hits in his 17 games in triple a wow. rochester he's hitting 338 358 477 that's a, that's a pretty good batting line in the International League, and I know, I know, I know that there are very real questions about his glove and arm as a shortstop, but all I'm saying is I've seen enough of what the Twins' current backup plan is. You know, they're, they're without their starting catcher, starting first baseman. They were without their starting DH. For 24 games, they were without their starting third baseman. They are without their starting shortstop. For 80 games, and currently they were, are without their starting center fielder for an indefinite amount of time. I get that. That is tough sledding for any team to overcome. All I'm saying is, what would be the harm in seeing for a month 
until Jorge Polanco gets back, what Nick Gordon can do as a shortstop in the big leagues. I'm ready to see it. Stat of the week, 22 hits. 22 hits in 17 games. Pretty amazing, and uh, I agree. If it doesn't work, pretty easy just to send him back to Rochester and let him play out until September call-ups. And also, just a quick shout-out to the Gopher baseball team. They're playing a yes. three-game series in the Super Regional this weekend out at Oregon State, Corvallis. And I've got a couple much smarter college baseball minds in my friend circle than me. I'm kind of a I, – I love college baseball at its peak, and when the Gophers are good, I'm definitely engaged, but I don't pretend to follow on a regular basis. I can tell you that Taryn Vavra is one of the best hitters in the country for sure. Uh, that, it doesn't take a genius to figure that out. But I said, how many times out of ten – do the Gophers win this three-game series against Oregon State, which is one of the best five teams in the country? And uh, one of my one of my friends, Justin Musil from Elite Sports Advising, he said probably three, maybe four times out of ten. So nice. def- definitely a chance for the Gophers this weekend. We'll see what happens. So maybe Phil, we should have made the stat of the week non-zero, non-zero. The chance that the Gophers <laughs> advance beyond Oregon State this weekend at the Super Regional. <laughs> Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end of this episode. Uh, I know it can be a lot. Trust me, I know. But if you like sports podcasts, 1500 ESPN is doing a number of them. And I want to point you to one specifically. The Purple Podcast is one of my favorite podcasts. Easily my favorite Vikings podcasts. I'm not a football guy, but Matthew Collar, Judd Zolgad, and Courtney Cronin do a great job with that podcast. Training camp's right around the corner. And if you are a football person... Please don't tune out on the Twins, but if you're going to tune in on some Viking stuff, can't hardly blame me for that. Just do it on the Purple Podcast. Check it out on iTunes, your iPhone, Apple Podcast app. I use Podcast Republic on my Android. So if you're a football person and you like podcasts, give the Purple Podcast a try. You'll be glad that you did.